Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Johanna. Hi, everybody. Um, I am so humbled and grateful to be here. Um, It's by the grace of God that I get to have enough time in this program to share at this. And um, for the newcomers in this... Oh, hi. Thank you. I'm Johanna, compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi. Hi. Um, For the newcomers, this is my story. If it doesn't speak to you, please come to other meetings. Um, If you don't hear what you need tonight, you will hear it elsewhere. Keep coming back. There is hope in this room, in these rooms, in this community. Um, I came, I guess I I came from a family of hippies, southern hippies, so there was a lot of insanity, um, a lot of unpredictability, and a lot of weird restrictions around food that weren't about diet so much as just like, just random whatever had come up recently that we weren't allowed to eat. Sometimes we were vegetarian, sometimes we were vegan, sometimes we were like pescatarian. It just didn't matter. It was it was very random but very restricted. And um, And there was a lot of chaos in my life. I moved a lot. And I learned that I really liked sugar. It like checked me out at a very, very young age. Um, or at least it just made me not feel we moved my mom and I moved a lot and uh, I don't remember ever moving I don't know what I was doing but I don't remember ever packing or leaving or anything I just I I just kind of hid in in some place Um, and that place feels the way I feel when I'm binging like I think there's a way that I can check out when I when I would binge that I I wasn't on the planet I couldn't remember large swaths so I will tell you my story, but there's a lot of it that I don't remember because I was binging and purging and, and taking diet pills and laxatives and exercising for hours a day. And um, and so uh, I guess I learned how to diet when I was in high school or t- middle school. Um, I think I'd been kind of a heavy set kid, but it didn't really matter until I discovered boys and all of a sudden I really cared about the size of my clothes and uh, how well I like whether or not I could trade clothes with my friends, which I never could. Um, But I learned how to diet. I was pretty good at it. I restricted very well, would only eat the same, like one little bowl of crunchy stuff in the morning and one like fruit, one little item for lunch, the same thing for a year. And I never laughed for that year. I didn't realize that until at the end of the year, I was hanging out with some, with my neighbor, my girlfriend, uh, neighbor, um, and I started laughing. And I didn't stop for about five minutes. She got so furious. She thought I was, she thought I was making it up. She yelled at me and told me to stop, and I just couldn't stop. It was like a year's worth of laughter finally coming out. Um, and uh, and it was that same year that I uh, I got cancer. I got ovarian cancer, and 
instead of controlling my food. It was just a matter of like keeping it down. So it, I think that disease arrested my disease of compulsive overeating temporarily. And um, I got the gift of serenity through just trying to survive. And I got like a higher power. I got connected to, a, to something deeper for that brief time. Um, but then once I was kind of in the clear a little bit, it started to come back. Um, I got through high school and got, you know, on, on my own and suddenly didn't know how to handle life at all. Uh, I don't know if anybody does. Let me know if you know how to handle life. I'd love to hear how it's going. Um, I don't. And, uh, and it started showing up in, like, I just started to try to control my food. Um, I can see ways that it's linked for me specifically to some sexual trauma where I, um, I was coerced into having sex, which is rape, although at the time I didn't know it. Um, and rather than tell anyone, I ate and I, and I started, I threw up and I thought, oh, that's weird. That's, that's an eating disorder. Before that, I was exercising three hours a day, taking diet pills every day, and counting calories obsessively. But that, to me, wasn't an eating disorder yet. That was just, like, trying to be good, trying to fit into the right size, get look the right number. It was when I threw up that I first realized, oh, that's, that's eating disorder territory. I'll never do that again. And about a few weeks later, I did it again. And then a few days later, it, it, it came and went. But there was always that cliff I could fall off at any time, and, no, and the secrecy just started to build up around my eating behaviors. Um, I started to take laxatives when I couldn't throw up, or, or in addition to throwing up, if I didn't feel like I'd quite gotten rid of it enough. Um, and during the same time, I still had friends, I still had a community, I was working, I had a job, um, so my life kind of looked all right on the outside, and so I thought I had it together. And and then a couple of years went by, and it just got crazier and crazier. I ended up moving to New York. I, I think because I didn't bounce any ideas off of anyone, because I wasn't honest, I got like more and more into the secret shame of my eating life, I was able to make some really terrible decisions that ended up like living in New York with a crackhead, who was, um, and, and I <coughs> finally realized when I like went, I started eat, I gave up the bulimia for a minute because I was in New York and it was really hard to find a bathroom where I could throw up. Um, and I had a roommate. <laughs> so I gave up the bulimia for a minute and I like immediately gained three sizes. Just, I mean, not even three months. It was just quickly, quickly escalated so fast that I pulled another geographic and I moved to Los Angeles where everything was going to be fine because I was in another state. And, um, and it wasn't. I still took myself and my whole disease with me. Um, I think, you know, maybe maintained for a month here or there. I could always cobble together a few days. Um, not always. That's not true. I couldn't always cobble together a few days. But I could occasionally cobble together a few days if I leaned on a lot of other behaviors or if I didn't eat at all. I just starved for a few days and that would like do a hard reset in my mind. Like, okay, now I'm going to start eating fine because I've stopped eating. I've done a juice cleanse. I'm back on track. Um, and inevitably, a few days later, I'd be back crying in the grocery store, 
outside, you know, Ralph's, or crying in the in the parking lot outside Ralph's, and maybe crying in the grocery store, just eating in the grocery store. Um, there were a lot of intersections I couldn't get past because they had frozen stuff at those intersections, and I just could not bring myself to drive past without stopping. And if I stopped, I would get the biggest one, and then I'd get another one, or I'd go across the street and get the one over there, and then I'd drive to the grocery store and cry and, you know, go and binge. Um, and so I finally came in when my best friend said, don't call me again until you go to Overeaters Anonymous. I'm going to email you the schedule. Uh, I don't want to hear you call and tell me that you just binged again and you don't know how to stop. So I went, um, and I was totally freaked out, and I didn't relate to, I mean, I related to what I heard. I could feel my feelings, which was super uncomfortable, and I'd go back out and binge again because, because I had all these feelings, or because someone mentioned a certain food item that made me think about that food item, and God forbid I think about a food item, then I've got to have it. There was no stopping. Like, I, I just didn't know how to not eat that thing. If it wasn't going to be today, it would be next week. Um, I just kept track of those things, and um, and yet I kept coming back for a little while, and I um, I started eating breakfast with with fellows. I'd have lunch with fellows. I would call in my food for a little while. I had a I had a sponsor who was my friend. She was wonderful, uh, and I got about six months. And after about six months, I decided I can do this. I got it. I just need a spiritual solution. I've got a spiritual, I've got an idea of what God's like, so I'm going to go out and try to do it on my own with, with God. Like, just me and God. We've got this. I don't want to go to the inconvenient meetings. I don't want to talk to crazy people. I don't want to, like, I just don't want to be inconvenienced like this. This is up. <laughs> and, and, um, and so I left. And that did not work out the way I wanted it to. I, I was able to, again, cling to abstinence for a little while. I'm just going to check my time. Yep, I can talk forever. Um, okay, so, so yeah, I went out, and it was about eight years later that I finally came back in. After uh, lots, I joined a cult for a minute. Uh, didn't cure my eating disorder, just in case you're wondering. Um, nope, nope, I gave up alcohol for a year because like, I could do, like, I could give up all kinds of stuff. I could stop eating for a week plus at a time, but I... I couldn't eat three meals a day, you know, and with beginning, middle, and end, um, until I came back in here. And I came back in here because I, I uh, let's see, I was binging in my car and I totaled it. I was dating a guy who I really liked. Like, I really liked this guy, but I kept fighting with him, so he'd leave the house so I could eat. And... Or I could storm out and be really pissed, and then I could go binge and purge, and I, he didn't know. And, um, and I could just see the trajectory. Like, it wasn't getting better. And I wanted to end my life. It was like this. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't maintain a relationship. None of my friends knew I was binging after every dinner party and purging. And, like, it made no sense. Um, and so I knew this was the last stop for me. And if you're listening to this on the podcast or in this room and you don't think you are that far down the line, don't wait till you get there. Like, it, it is progressive. I've heard people say it over and over and again, and I have experienced that. Like, it is a progressive disease, and it's just not worth getting that despondent. Um, so, uh, welcome. <laughs> Glad you're here. Um, so, I came back, and thank God I was on my knees. I was able to... 
ask someone to sponsor me. I don't even know if I asked her. Someone in this room who's just miraculous called me up, and I was crying and didn't understand how to stop binging and was freaking out. And she was like, well, you know, do you have a sponsor? No, I don't have a sponsor, but I don't know who to ask. She's like, I'll sponsor you for a little while. You know, I can be your temporary sponsor if you want to. And I was like, okay. She's like, okay, you're going to have to do what I say. He's like, okay. <laughs> and uh, she's like, you're going to have to go to five meetings a week. Okay. Go to, you know, call three people. Uh, actually, I think at the beginning she didn't scare me off this much. She just was like, call me tomorrow, which was great. That's what I needed to hear. Um, <laughs> but then when I called tomorrow, she's like, here's all the stuff you're going to have to do. And I just, like, I had no other option. I had no other option, thank God, for desperation. I'm just so grateful for desperation because um, I did what she said, and I did a 30 and 30, and I called three people every day, which I hated. I hated. I was like, immediately, like, but, but Martha, there are crazy people in this program, and they will want to talk to me for like an hour, and I'm going to want to help them, and I don't know how I'm going to help them. She's just... Keep on the phone for 10 minutes and, like, get off the phone. You're going to be fine. You don't have to, like, be everyone's best friend, which was, like, I didn't know that. I just didn't have the boundaries, which is super embarrassing, and I don't know if anybody relates to that, but that was my story. I didn't have the boundaries to, like, say, I got to go. Um, you know, I'm glad I talked to you. Have a nice day. Like, I just couldn't do it. Um, I thought I had to fix everyone, but I couldn't even fix myself. So, um, so I did what I didn't want to do. I showed up at meetings when I didn't want to show up at meetings. I called people when I didn't want to call people. I answered the phone when I didn't want to answer the phone. And I took service commitments. I hated them because I didn't think I had anything to give. So, like, I, I don't know how any of this works. They're the leaders. The leaders are over there. They know how to do stuff. I don't know how to do anything. Um, but, you know, I'd time or I'd set up and I knew how to set up chairs in a row so I could do that, you know. And, um, and eventually people started recognizing me and I was uh, part of the group, which I never understood how to be. Like, I couldn't be part of the group. I had to be leading the group or, like, the bottom of the barrel outside the windows, like, looking in at the group. I didn't know how to just be part of the group. But if I said yes to commitments, people seemed to think I belonged. It was amazing. And, and so I just kept doing that. And I'd call my sponsor and be like, my boyfriend just did all this terrible stuff, and I just want a cookie, and oh, my God. And she's like, okay, hang up right now, call three people, newcomers, help them, call me back. And I was like, but don't you want to hear my story some more? She's like, no. I don't, no, you're crazy. Your thinking is distorted. The more you think about your own thinking, the deeper in the hole you get, get out of your own thinking, call three people, and then call me back and tell me how it's going. And inevitably, I'd call three people, I'd hear about their crazy story, and miraculously, my crazy story didn't matter as much anymore. And that need for that little crumbly thing didn't matter as much anymore. It might matter a little bit, and then she'd be like, okay, get on your knees and pray. And if that doesn't work, get on your knees and pray some more, or just lay in bed and moan if that's what you have to do. Just don't eat. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, my bottom line was no throwing up, and it still is. And, you know, if you're, like, that worked for me. That was, I'm just so grateful that my bottom line was so bottom. It was so, like, hard to break, so clear cut. Um, I know a lot of people aren't bulimic, and it's harder, like, you have to find that bottom. But I, like, for me, finding something that was really wide, like, for me, so much of life had been walking on this tightrope. Like, if I just 
misstepped a little bit and ate just a little bit of the wrong food or even thought about it for too long, I was off the edge. I tumbled. And, you know, once I tumbled a little bit, I, I had to just go all the way down the path. Um, so it worked for me to have a low bottom line so that I could wobble, you know, because I didn't. I did not know how to feed myself, you guys. Breakfast was confusing. Like, when does it start? What should it be? Was that too much or too little? What if I'm hungry? God forbid. Like, I just didn't know how to do it, and it was all so terrifying. And so it was messy. And it still gets messy sometimes, but it's a lot less messy these days, I'll say. So um, I'll just quickly try to jump ahead. Um, I kept doing all that stuff I mentioned, and, um, and I got through a year of abstinence, um, and I got some people who were my sponsors, the sponsees, and, um, and I, I did drag my feet in step four, like, it was so hardcore, it was unbelievable, I can't believe I took this long, but if you're scared by the steps, just keep coming back, just keep coming back and work them five minutes at a time if you can, that's what, that's what my sponsor said, I was stuck in step four, uh, because I didn't want to get to step nine, that was why I think I dropped out. Partly why I dropped out the first time, I did not want to do step nine. Um, <laughs> I just didn't. Um, but I did five minutes at a time, and five minutes at a time seemed like a, an amount of time that doesn't count. Like nothing gets done. I genuinely believed, and there's a part of my brain that still does. Like I don't believe that if I read a page of the big book every day, I will ever finish the book. The book is too long. I will literally never be finished. Five minutes is not long enough. I've got this infinite list. My fourth step will never be finished in five minutes. It's got to be an hour or nothing. And that's bulimic thinking, you know. It's got to be nothing or it's got to be everything. And I'm really grateful for those incremental steps, that one day at a time, by the grace of God, contingent on my spiritual recovery, I was able to take a one-year candle. And then about a month later, I took my will back with oatmeal. So, like, should have been really benign, but it wasn't so much that day. Because I just, again, like, I just got into that self-will. It's, it's inconvenient. This doesn't, I don't like going to meetings all the time. I don't like having to sponsor somebody. I pick up the phone and, uh, and it's my, it was my birthday. And nobody, like, wanted to have a party for me. And I was sad and felt really bad. So I had a party with the food, uh, which was really not something I recommend. Um, my abstinence had been, in my mind, not clean enough. Um, it was still, you know, my bottom line was no throwing up, but it did like, my food looked bigger than I wanted it to. My clothes were still fitting, but my food was bigger than I wanted it to be. And so I gave away that abstinence. And it's kind of hard. It's like, it's always hard to get abstinent, I think. Like, I, I just, my experience says, and everybody I know that's, like, gotten back into abstinence. Uh, what worked for me to get abstinent again was having a, a, a sponsor who was like, oh, cool, okay, well, it's a great day to be abstinent. This is your new abstinence date. Let's keep it. Right back on the wagon, 30 and 30, double down on everything, and that's what I did. Um, so uh, then my life, my life has changed a lot. This is now five and a half years after that date. Um, I now am married to that guy who I wanted to get at, like, who I liked so much that I kept fighting with. Um, we still fight. <laughs> He's still not perfect. I'm still not perfect. It's um, really messy, just like everything in my life. Um, but it's a lot less messy than it was. And um, I have a kid 
who's three and a half. And now I get to deal with all the kid food because that was my like my binge food was kid food. I wanted the foods that I didn't get when I was a kid. Thank you. Um, I just wanted them. And now they're around all the time. And it's I'm, I'm just really grateful to have the tools. The tools are always there. Meetings aren't always there. People don't always pick up the phone, but I've always got prayer and meditation, and I've got the phone, I've got literature, and I've got so many tools. I can't think of anything right now, um, but you can go look them up. They're there. Um, <laughs> and, and so what still works for me today is having service commitments at my meetings because my life is busier than it was. I have a bigger life. Um, but because of my service commitments, I show up, and that's always the way it's been. If I don't have a service commitment, eh, maybe I go to the meeting, maybe I don't. Um, I usually do, but maybe I don't. If I have a service commitment, I go, because I have to, and I'm part of the group. I'm one of many, um, and so today, today I'm reworking uh, my six and seven, my six step and seven step, because... Um, character defects have come up a lot and I think I'd like I just forgotten that it wasn't up to me just like it's not up to me to get abstinent it's not up to me to, to figure out what goes on my plate I pray about it I ask fellows if I still don't know um, what what I should do I'll check in um, I do that less just because of because I have momentum and I have a, a routine now but but I'll do it and I have sponsees that check in with me and that reminds me of like how I need to check in with my sponsor and I do I email my food to my sponsor every day uh, I do a 10-step inventory every day and that stuff is inconvenient but I remember hearing in these rooms that um, you know my recovery is directly proportional to how inconvenient my program is so the more inconvenient it is the bigger my recovery is and that's just been true for me I don't I, it always feels inconvenient and it's always, like, it always leads to me having greater sense of self-worth. Um, you know, I thought my self-worth would come from having the job or the, like, just the cash and prizes. I just, I wanted my life to look good from the outside. If my clothes look good and my boyfriend looked good or whatever it was in my life that I valued at the time, my job, my stuff, um, then I was okay. But that's, like... Today, it doesn't really matter. I forget that a lot of times. Like, I still want, I want it to look good on the outside. But today, I have another place to go. Today, I can pray and meditate and know that when my spiritual connection is aligned, I'm okay. And um, I, let's see, what did I want to share? I guess that might be it. I might take some questions. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, what was it like when you finally did step nine? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I'll talk about that. Uh, the question is, what was it like when I uh, finally did step nine? Um, it took a lot of kicking and screaming to get me to do step nine. Um, the first amends I made were to my parents. I admitted to wrecking my dad's car and telling them that it was parked on the side of the road and that somebody else had run into it. Um, 
and, <laughs> um, and I admitted some like ugly stuff, and it was okay. It was okay with them, and that still didn't give me the confidence to go out and work step nine with all the other characters. So it was slow. It was still slow and tedious, and I had to work it um, gently with my sponsor. I would call her and tell her who I was going to make amends to and how it was going to go. There were some that were easier. Sometimes I'd knock out five in a day because it was like I needed to write a letter to someone who had passed away, um, for which there were a couple. Um, it was uncomfortable in part going into it because I realized I wanted to make amends to everyone I'd ever met. Like, I had so, to, like, people who molested me. I wanted to, like, I, I, I thought I'd have to make amends to them somehow. And I'm grateful that, like, there are boundaries in this program. And I've, I've, there are ways I've, and still, and will always learn to grow up one day at a time in this program. Um, but when I realized I could make appropriate amends, appropriately, it was such a relief. The promises really are coming true. If you don't know what I mean, I think it's on page 93. Is that right? In the big book. Um, the promises are coming true daily in my life. And when I don't feel like I'm getting the promises, I just need to pray. Because, because my life is a lot cleaner now. Um, just today, actually, I, I went to a yard sale, and on our way out from this yard, I was like with my husband and our kid, and like we got a bunch of stuff at the yard sale, and on the way out, we knocked over a little statue, and the statue broke. And my husband's like, I don't know, I was like, dude, what are you talking about? I went back in, and I, actually, no, we got, because my, my son was a little freaked out, so we went, we went home, and I went back to the neighbor's house and said, hey, we broke your statue, and I just want to make you whole again. Um, and... I had the money in hand. He didn't, in the end, ask for it. But, like, it was such a relief to just know that I was clear. I was clean of that. I didn't have to hold on to that because I am as sick as my secrets, and I will eat over them. I, if I have shame, it's going to end up in my mouth. It's probably going to end up in the toilet. It's going to end up looking like a diet. Um, and that down that road lies so much insanity. Um, and just, like letting go of those burdens it's so much easier no matter what it costs like I went back and I paid I paid a lot of money to different uh to different uh restaurants and grocery stores mostly um because I I did a lot of eating in grocery stores I ate a lot of bulk food and I ate a lot I ate a lot of stuff and I stole food I just put it in my pocket um and you know what it wasn't as much as I thought it was it was scary to me thinking about paying back stores uh, no one arrested me. No one even, like, they, they were baffled. A lot of people looked at me like, wow, really? Why do you want to? Okay. Uh, why are you telling me this? This is weird. Um, but it was like, it was like this weight lifting off of my chest of secrecy and shame. And, and now I can go shopping in those grocery stores again. I couldn't for years. Like, you know, I, I won't even name them, but like, yeah, I, I just couldn't go there. Or if I did, I felt hunkered down, like someone was going to catch me. And, um, and I just don't do that. I'm really grateful. Thanks for the question. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, how does your program inform your, the way that you parent and your relationship with your child? So. Oh, thanks. Uh, the question is, how does program inform the way that I parent? Um, 
I feel like I'm still learning the traditions. Like I'm, I, the tradi- uh, for anyone who doesn't know, a lot of people say that working the traditions is how we work in, in groups and community. And um, with my son, I uh, I make amends if something feels strange. I do it appropriately, so I don't like. I, I'm still the grown up. Um, I I feel like program affects my parenting because mostly because I'm not running around crazy. Like, I would be so insane surrounded by the kid food. And, you know, for the most part, I give him healthy meals. I don't, like, I know that for me it doesn't work to have a whole lot of sugary stuff in my house. Um, so I have, like, appropriate stuff for a three-and-a-half-year-old. And there, there are times when I just have to turn it over, like, hey, you know what, the stuff in the cupboard is not mine, and I just don't eat that stuff. Um, I think my son is affected because his mom is present. We can eat together, and I'm with him. I'm not with his food. Um, one day at a time. It's not always the case. There are definitely times when I'm, like, obsessing about his little weird leftover thing. And he's like, Mom, don't eat that. I'm saving that. Well, yeah, I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> I am. Like, I am so compulsive. It's amazing. And it shows up differently today, for sure. It is a lot more like, oh, he's not going to eat this. I can eat this. Um, rather than... When he goes to sleep, I'm going to make more of this and cook all night and binge all night and hide, um, which is how it used to look and how it could easily look right now uh, were it not for just showing up one day at a time and getting on my knees. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. What's your concept of a higher power? Oh, all right. What's my concept of a higher power? Um, That one's been a real, like been tricky for me at times because I, I grew up in, uh, in the South with a, a kind of religious, spiritualist mom. So, like, we believed in everything. Um, but nothing worked in her life. So I was like, well, nothing works then. This is both. Um, and, and for me, uh, in the beginning and sometimes even now, high, my higher power is good, orderly direction. God is just good, orderly direction because I just didn't know what that was. Um, and I still often don't. Um, yeah, so that isn't as warm and fuzzy as I need. So I do, um, I know my inner, I know my higher power, but my higher power is is an unnameable thing. Uh, it is, it can't be described. It is too big for words, um, and it is all-encompassing, but it is loving, and, and um when I got to work my third step and, and I really got to invent my own higher power, which is, you know, sometimes just like a snuggly, invisible best friend who wants me to be skinny. Um, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes that's, that's all, that's the best I can do with my higher power. Um, but the, uh, the good news is my higher power is also in the ocean waves and in the wind and in, my fellows and in a breath and if I can just get still and humble enough to listen my higher power is always there and wants the best for me even if it's not what I want even if it doesn't look the way I want it to look I can trust that my higher power has a plan Um, thank you for letting me share that's my time